remain in step with him. We can just trust him. And so um, Numbers 13, and we'll be there uh, here in just a little bit. Yesterday I had uh, text Sherry. She started her uh, her long career uh, at Hobby Lobby. I don't think she's going to make a dime off the job because Hobby Lobby is going to cuck. And, and it's really discouraging when they get fouled up because someone else gets there ahead of you. Maybe you have your own story like that. You made great plans. You thought it was going to be the best vacation of your life. And you notice, yeah, they know where this is too. And it's just not as fun, right? And so really, this is really what's going to kind of, a little bit, not not totally, but kind of going to happen, which has happened here to Israel here in Numbers chapter 13. When they come, they're going to come face to face, not with, with patrons that want to get in and have some food. No, they're going to come face to face with giants that are kind of cluttering up the promise that God gave them. They're going to get discouraged, and we're going to look at this tonight. Here in, in, in our text, God gives a command in verses, four through, in verses 1 through 2 of our text, and he tells Moses to get a group of men together and send out an expedition to go spy out the land. And verses 4 through 15, God tells them uh, one man out of every tribe, so 12 men were, to go to go, were going to go out, and if you wanted to take the time, you could go through and read all of the names of each one out of each one of the tribes. And uh, so God uh, gave specific direction. They, they chose out uh, those men that were gonna, going to go out with them. The path was even given. God told them that they were to begin up around the mountains of Syria, up in the north. They were to travel south into Hebron, and which would take them through the entire land of Canaan. And as the commission was outlined... They were to survey everything. They were to survey the people, whether they were weak or strong. They were to survey the housing that they had, whether it were tents or permanent types of housing and dwellings. They were to observe the land, whether it was good land or bad land. And God wanted Israel to have an eyewitness report of the land that uh, that he was giving them. And so in verse 21, Moses sends this committee off into the promised land. Look at verse 21. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rahab as men come to Hamath. And they ascended by the south and came unto Hebron where Ahaman, Shishai, Talmai, and the children of Anak were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt, and they began at the very north, and they worked their way south uh, through Hebron, thirty miles Hebron, thirty miles south of Jerusalem, and they began to journal a few things that they had noticed in the land. They said there were brook, uh, grapes by the brook Eschol. They said there were there were pomegranates. There were uh, there were figs in the land that they talked about, and so here we have God had commanded Moses. Moses sent the spies out, and the spies carried out what God commanded them to do. And it, and it made me pause and kind of ask the question, why, why the expedition? I mean, we know what's going to happen. You know what's coming up here, right? We all know this story in the events of this, of this. But why would God have done this? Why, why did God set up uh, a dreaded committee to survey the land of Canaan? 
I, I've got four reasons. They're not exhaustive, okay? They're just four reasons that are possible that uh, God could have done this. And they might be helpful. Uh, the first thing I noticed, well, really, in Exodus 3, 7 through 8, it really it fulfills God's promise. God's promise. Go back to Exodus chapter 3, if you would, please. Exodus chapter 3. And look at verses 7 and 8. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I'm come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land in a large land. I like how he says that land. It's specific. He's bringing them back to Canaan. Unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at that phrase. A land flowing with milk and honey. Unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. So God told them right from the very beginning, I'm going to bring you to a land. It's a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and it is a land already inhabited. This, kind of, this is prophetic. God tells them what it's going to be like when they get there. And then they're shocked, right? But he tells them. He tells them. Look at Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20, look at verse 23 and 24. It says, And ye shall not walk in the manner of the nations which I cast out before you, for they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. But I have said unto you, Ye shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess it, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other uh, people. So God told them that it was a land of milk and honey. And it, wouldn't you, and it's amazing, not really, but it is exactly the way that the spies called it when they returned. That's a phrase. What does it mean? It's a, it's a bountiful land. It's a fruitful land. It is, it is a land that produces a lot. And they even brought back the evidence of the fruitfulness of that land. So so this, this spying out the land, well, it should have built confidence in the people that went to search out the land because it's exactly what God told them. They said, yeah, milk and honey, grapes, pomegranates, figs, and giants. Right? Other people living here, it fulfilled that. It fulfills God's promise. It should, it should have built confidence in them. Right? If God, watch, if God already knew what the land was like, and he's already done miracles to get them where they are presently. What is there left to fear? Wait, wait. The all, God has already told them what, what it was going to be. I mean, is God sadistic? Is God cruel? Does he, does he give these things to draw you out and just go, ha, 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 this is going to be fun. Right? Let's watch him squirm over this one. No, God doesn't do that. God doesn't torment his children. He's a good father. He's not like that at all. What, what this should have done, really, it should have built confidence in them. Wow, wow, it's exactly as God had said. This is exactly what he said it was going to be. Builds confidence. Number three, it should build trust. It should have built trust. He, God did what he said he was going to do. They were right at the precipice 
of the land that God had given. They had come through the wilderness. They were right where God wanted them. It was exactly what he said it was going to be. It, it, it was uh, filled with, he said it was, with the land, what he said it was going to be filled with. It should have built trust in the people of God that, that God is all-knowing and that if he is all-knowing and he brought us to this place, well, we can trust him to take us from the edge of, the, of our promise right into the middle of a promise and give us what he told us we should have. Should have built trust, right? See, nobody in Israel at this time had ever seen Canaan. They've been in, Israel, they've been in Egypt 430 years, 400, 430 years. This generation had not seen them. There's no way that anyone could have known what the land looked like. I think God wanted to let Israel know, I can be trusted. Right? Isn't it amazing we get into problems in life and you can find in the Word of God that God said, yeah, these things are going to come. Right? Remember what he told the disciples at the very end? He said, the world's going to hate you. The world's going to hate you. Why? It's not you that they hate. It's me that's in you that they hate. Don't worry about it. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He warns us of these things. He says, those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He warns us of these things. And then we go, oh, we can't trust God. Why? He told you, right? It fulfills God's promises. It builds confidence. It builds trust. Yeah. Here, here's number five, the fourth one I came up with. I think it's kind of a big one. I, and I hate to word it this way. There could probably be a better way to word it. But following God pays off. Yeah. Remember what, what, Jesus, I, 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 what Jesus told Peter, right? He said, uh, Peter said, what, what are we going to have? We've left everything. He says, in this life you'll have the houses and lands and in the life to come, life, life eternal. Right? No, it pays to follow God. No, I'm not talking about materialistically, although it does, Right? God blesses, amen. Aren't you amazed at, at how when you follow God by faith and you give and you do and you, and you just follow him that he just, he just blesses and blesses and blesses and blesses, right? Amen, amen. Yeah. But none of this happened with the children of Israel. Yeah. Not this group. It didn't happen. So the committee comes back they verify the promises of God. Yeah, it's a great land. It's a, the grapes are they're huge. The pomegranates are huge. The figs are wonderful. And uh, it's just exactly what God said. But there's a problem. Problem is what? Giants. Giants. Can I tell you, giants are a real problem. Right, Miss Judy? Yeah, we know. People are giants around us, right? And they can be a real problem. They really can. Can I tell you, it does not matter how strong a chihuahua is. He can be the biggest, baddest, most ferocious chihuahua in the world. But when he's looking up at a 160-pound Great Dane, I don't care how big he is. That dog's a problem. Right. Now, if you know Great, never mind. Great Danes have been afraid of chihuahuas. But anyway, that's another thing. What about a Rottweiler? Could you imagine a Rottweiler backing down from the biggest Chihuahua you ever met? That's, you know, no, listen, that, that Rottweiler is a problem to that Chihuahua. You could have the most ferocious Tomcat you've ever had. Man, this thing could be mean and nasty. And I'll tell you what, next to a lion, I don't care how bad he is. No, what am I saying? Giants are a problem, friend. We're not minimizing the problem at all. And listen, we don't minimize the giants that come into our life. They're real. The only difference is God's bigger. 
<laughs> they may be bigger than us, but he's bigger than them, right? Amen. Absolutely. And so here they are. They've got a great problem. Look at verse 27 and 29 of our text, Numbers, Numbers chapter 13. And they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Here it is. Nevertheless, what a word. No, I know this is what God said. I know it's exactly how God said it was, be, it was going to be. I know it was as good as God said it was going to be. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Uh-oh. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. So this was, this was a problem to them. Yeah. The children of Anak, giants, literal giants, they said. Right. No, no, we were really looking forward to Longhorn. We were really looking forward to a nice restaurant. But a bunch of people cluttered it up. No, Israel was really looking forward to getting into what God had promised them. They were really looking forward to a nice meal by the rivers, to, the, to enjoying the grapes, to enjoying the figs, to enjoying the pomegranate, to enjoying all of the bounty of the land. But it was cluttered up by a bunch of giants that got there before them. Brr. Actually, it had been there a long time. But uh, Caleb and Joshua, we know their testimony, don't we? They're ready to go. They're ready to go in. The others said, nevertheless. Caleb and Joshua were ready to go in, but they said, no, nevertheless. Look at verse 32, Brother Jim read this. Verse 32 and 33. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land, though which we have gone to search it, is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Pretty bad. Sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? Yeah. If you would go to chapter 14, you would see that they begin to murmur against Moses and Aaron. The, the congregation, verse 3, begins to accuse uh, it begins to accuse God. Look at this in verse 3. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? They're blaming God. Wow. And so they said, well, let's, let's get somebody together. We'll get a, chi a chief among us, and he will take us back into Egypt, and we will just go home. And Joshua, in verses 6 and 9, though, he's going to talk. And he said the Joshua, verse 6, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes and spake unto the company of the children of Israel, saying, the land which we pass through to search it is, is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it unto us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Now look at verse 9. Look at this first line. Only rebel not ye against the Lord. 
How do you rebel against something unless it was commanded to you? What is, what is Joshua, Joshua saying here? He rem, he's reminding them that this is the will of God. Don't rebel against God in this. God has brought us here. Don't rebel against what God is doing. Can I tell you, you will get a better understanding of someone's spiritual condition if the word of God does not comfort them and encourage them to go forward. You're going to get a better understanding where they are spiritually. How could they do this? Oh, I understand fear. We understand fear, don't we? Yeah. How could they do this? They had seen the ten plagues. They had seen God defeat, defeat Egypt. They had seen the parting of the Red Sea. They had seen the waters of Merah made sweet. They had seen the manna. They had seen the water out of the rock, the quail, more water. I mean, on and on and on. Their clothes didn't wear out. The Amalekites are defeated. They have watched God at every step of the way show up at every trial, at every problem, at every mountain, at every impassable crossing. They've watched them show up. And on top of that, over the last... Uh, Several years here, they've seen the very presence of God in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Yep. They've seen things that we have never seen. They knew what God could do. They knew what he was capable of. Yep. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the, the inhabitants of Canaan were too big for Israel's not God, too big for Israel's faith, which really they weren't. Remember Jesus told the disciples, Lord, increase our faith. If you had faith, there's a grain of a mustard seed. Yeah. So they refused to enter the promised land. It didn't matter what they'd already seen. They, they didn't care. It didn't matter the proof that God had given them. They didn't care about the proof. They were so overwhelmed with fear. So overwhelmed with disappointment and discouragement. So overwhelmed with what looked like immeasurable odds. That they drew the line. They drew the line and they said, no, we're not going. We're done. And everyone that was present that day, 20 years old and upward, except for Joshua and Caleb, never entered into the promise that God had for them. Unfortunately, in churches, there's a lot of churches out there that I think may not go forward because God's waiting for a generation to die in the wilderness before he can do something. Because they wouldn't go through with belief. Some dug their heels and said, no, we're not going here. No, we're not doing this. No, we're not going any further. And God says, okay, well, wait. I'll wait you out. <laughs> yeah. It's not a good plan to try to wait out God. No. Doesn't it sound crazy that after all this, they wouldn't? Believe God? Trust Him? But what about our promises? Amen? We have promises. We have personal promises from God. We have all sorts of things that God has given us. Promises. 
We looked at the blessings in Ephesians. We've been looking at the blessings that are in Jesus Christ, all of these things. What about our promises? We have promises, you know. But not just our promises personally. I want to look at our promises as a church. As Crimson Avenue Baptist Church. What are our promises? Well, one of them, Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I'll build my church. Well, that's comforting. (laughs) Amen? He said, I will build my church, my ecclesia. There were other ecclesias out there, right? There were town halls and all sorts of things like that. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, my church. Acts 1.8. Acts 1 8, the, the, we're told here that they, they, they were told that, uh, uh, and ye shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the world. There were promises of the indwelling Spirit of God that was going to empower them to do the work that God wanted them to do. That's a promise. And every one of us in here who are born again, child of God, you are indwelt by the Spirit of God and you have the power of God. We looked at it this morning. You have the power of God to accomplish what God wants you to do. That's a promise. So what are you afraid of? You want another promise? I'll give you another. I got another one written down here. You can go back to Matthew 16, 18 again. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church, Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you know what? When Jesus returns, you know what that means? His church is still going to be here. No, no. I mean, the the world has tried to get rid of it, right? The world has tried to snuff it out. The world has tried to stamp it out. I mean, we can watch it in our own in in our own uh, nation right now. Just look what happened during COVID and the attempt to really, I believe, to kind of snuff out or to to uh, uh, um, weaken the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. Still here? (laughs) Why? Because Jesus promised. I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against. We have some promises tonight. With those promises come evidences of yesterday where God worked. I love looking through some of the documents of uh, of the church from uh, years ago when we've been moving. I was going through all sorts of documents to see all of the work that God had done in this church over the last almost 70 years. What a blessing that was. I, I, I found the ordination paper of, of Orrin Cobb. I had no idea he was sent out of this church. Yeah. 1960, they ordained Orrin Cobb and sent him out. Pastored South Campbell Avenue Baptist Church for years and years and years. Didn't know that. I would, I would look through at all the, the salvations through the year they, they had logged and the baptisms through the years and the, the attendance through the years and all the, I mean, just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful testimony. No, we have something we can look back to uh, of the working and the power of God that, that come and undergird the promises of God. We can see it. You can see it in your life as well. We've been given promises as a church. Churches have promises even when they move said, huh? I knew you were going to get there. I'm just telling you. Acts chapter 19. Do you remember uh, the Apostle Paul had gone to Ephesus 
And like he did, remember this, we, he'd go into the synagogue and he would start there. And the Bible said that he, he stayed in the synagogue for three months. And he had a group, he was disputing with them and back and forth. And he had a group of people in there, obviously. And eventually they said, no, you got to go. So he went from the synagogue to the school of Tyrannus. The history says the, the reason that he may have been able to do that is because in the heat of the day, these schools would close down in the middle of the day and maybe left it open for, for Paul to rent or come into like a, like kind of like we're at right now, somewhere just to come meet for a little while. But you know what the Bible says after he moved? The Bible says that he stayed there for two years, two years in that school of Tyrannus. And you know what it says after that in Acts 19? You can go look it up tonight. And it said that the word of God grew and that the gospel went into all of Asia from Ephesus in those two years. Yeah. You see what happened? Because they moved, because he had to move, Okay, because there's some he because he moved from one location to another location. The Bible says, and he was able to stay there for that long period of time, and to grow roots there, and to minister there. The word of God was able to go out through all of Asia. Yeah. Obviously, I think God is for churches moving if it helps them reach their field. <laughs> okay, you're so well. It's no, it's not a stretch. I think the hand of God has already been evident how we got here. I could go through the list. We've gone through it before. How God has showed his hand and the purchasing of property and the selling of property and getting into this building and all of these things. Yeah. He's able, isn't he? My brother was telling me the other day, their church in Australia, they have to move constantly. They're always in rented halls. They'll never, he said, we'll probably never own a building. It's much too expensive in Australia to own a building. They're in Melbourne, very expensive. And I remember when we were having to be out of the other building, uh, somebody, uh, somebody here asked me, uh, so, Pastor, do you know where we're going? We're like, we're like two weeks of moving out. Do you know where we're going? Nope. I didn't. We were looking all over the place, right? Yeah. And then the other area began to fall apart. And I remember telling the owner of this place, he said, boy, I'm really sorry. We'll try to do something else. I said, no, no, don't, don't, don't apologize at all. I told him, I said, this is opposition. And uh, I'm excited about it because that means God's going to give us a place. Yeah. Gave us a better place. Amen. amen. Yeah. No dogs. Amen. No dirt. But you have some, man, they're moving all the time. My brother goes, yeah, sometimes two weeks, uh, a week, we don't know where we're going. Pack up, go somewhere else. Yeah. How can you not walk away from the events of last year not be convinced that God is for us? But here's the deal. As we move forward, no doubt, you know what's going to come up? Giants. No, and they're going to be real giants. They're, they're not going to be, you know, they're, they're going to be real obstacles. They really are real problems. Cluttering up our promise. Yeah. Money issues. Permit issues. Yeah. Building issues. People issues. Of, 
What are we supposed to do? I'm, gonna, I'm glad you asked because I came prepared to answer that question for you because I knew you were going to ask it. Amen. Let me give you a couple things to remember. When giants are cluttering up the promise, remember the giants that God has already killed in your past. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. If he did it yesterday, he'll do it today, and he'll do it tomorrow. Don't forget what God's already done. Number two, remember that sometimes God wants us to see how big the enemy is so we can see how big God is. Because you know what? After that one's gone, there's a bigger one coming. And boy, does it build confidence. When Israel looked at the giants in fear, they should have said, I can't wait to see what God is going to do. This is going to be awesome. Somebody, I mean, that was the, the attitude of Caleb and, and Joshua. Let's go in. God's going to deliver us. Why? Because they remembered everything he already did, and they just had all the confidence in the world. But no, the majority said, eh, we're dead. Let's go home. Number three, remember that a giant may be a giant to you, but he is never a giant to God. God called the nations over in Isaiah a drop in the bucket and the dust on the balance. He counts the isles as a very little thing, he says. He says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water, and he moves it whithersoever he wills. A giant that may be a giant to us, but he is never, he is never a giant to God. Number four, just keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Christ. Yeah. Over in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Wherefore, seeing that we are compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight that does so easily beset us, and run, let us run the race with patience, that is set before the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down the right hand of the throne of God. Listen to me tonight. There's going to be, there is going to be giants. They're coming. They're going to be there. They're waiting. Satan's probably putting them in place right now. Yeah, okay, you go over there and you get around the back and you come behind that tree and you get over here and you get in the sewer system and you get in the electrical system and you come over. I'm telling you, there's going to be giants. When they come, watch, don't react to the giants. Respond to Jesus. Respond to him. May God help us to never forget that if we faithfully follow him, he'll take care of everything else that's cluttering up what he's promised us. Now, Father, we want to thank you for just a simple reminder tonight that opposition comes. Lord, you have put us on a trajectory. You, put us on a, you have put us on a path forward. We're moving ahead, following you. And uh, Lord, we know that opposition is going to come. God, we beg you tonight. We beg you that you would help us 
to keep our eyes off of the circumstances around us. It's so easy to do. I'm so apt to do that. Would you help us to keep our eyes off the circumstances around us and keep our eyes looking unto Jesus? And Lord, that we just follow you right exactly where you want us to go. And Lord, we know you're already there. Where we are tonight, you already visited in eternity past. And you will be right in our tomorrow when we get there. Lord, would you help us to trust you tonight and just keep the course moving forward into the promise that you have for us. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand tonight. It could be possible... It could be possible that some have gotten a little discouraged in the way. Even even it's like already, oh yeah. Hey, listen, the children of Israel didn't get out of Egypt before they got to the Red Sea and they thought, oh no, it was quick. It was quick. If you're discouraged tonight, would you ask the Lord to help you? Ask the Lord to help you. Would you, would you keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ tonight? Would you spend some time with Him? Maybe it'd be a good time to take a little time of prayer to ask the Lord to protect the unity of Crimson Avenue Baptist Church. Just protect the unity of the body. That we'd be all on the same page moving forward. All of us keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keeping our eyes off of the circumstances around us and following Him. However the Lord has spoken to you tonight, Maybe the Holy Spirit has brought something else into your heart and mind. That you, Maybe there's some other giants that are going on in your life personally. And you just need to be reminded tonight that God is in control of those. He knew about them. And if you'd look to them, He'll take care of them. Whatever it is, would you trust Him tonight? Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer tonight. And uh, Brother Davidson, would you close us in prayer, please? Loving Heavenly Father, we are.